Such a blessing, isn't it, that we can assemble, come together this morning to give a thought in our heart and mind to offering worship and praise unto the God of heaven. Of course, as a part of that, we've already sung songs and hymns of adoration and praise, and we've prayed earnestly to our Heavenly Father. And for the next few moments, suppose we give some consideration to a lesson I've entitled, Use a Little Wine. Now perhaps, I noticed some had noticed that title was a bit on the interesting side, as if perhaps some wonderment as to what we're going to discuss with that. Well, you'll notice that's verbatim taken from 1 Timothy 5.23. So quite frankly, we're going to do a rather lengthy exegetical study this morning. I say lengthy only in the sense that we're going to unpack that verse and strive to appreciate what it is that it teaches. As we do that, here are some introductory thoughts that will at least be a part of our discussion as we proceed through the lesson this morning. Certainly it's fair to say, you and I recognize that we live in a world that is overwhelmingly approving and encouraging of the social consumption of alcohol. There is no question or doubt about this. In fact, one statistic that you may find a bit troubling on one hand, but maybe not that surprising on the other, in this country alone, the United States of America, in the year 2017, just last year now, almost... A quarter of a trillion dollars was spent on beverage alcohol. Almost a quarter of a trillion dollars. And that's in our country alone. Who knows how much Europe or Australia or other nations would have ultimately provided additional numbers to that. But our point is still so easily taken, isn't it? We are surrounded by those who think there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. And quite frankly, there are individuals who are sitting in church buildings this very morning in various places who would be quick to defend it too. They say there's nothing wrong from the perspective of this. And sometimes they'll even quote, didn't Paul tell Timothy to use a little wine? Now, if that doesn't endorse it, what else would, I, would, I, would we need? For that reason, why don't we see what it is that verse teaches this morning? Does it teach what they claim? Does it set before us that it's okay from the perspective of heaven to drink a little wine? If it doesn't, by the way, then what does that verse teach? Well, no wonder with that said. You notice that we, of course, are in the midst of the holiday season. And this is a time of year when maybe there are those who would be willing to think that maybe it's okay this time of year. There are some holidays that, quite frankly, are well known for their association to alcohol. None of them beats New Year's Eve. Every statistic I've ever seen, it is by far and away the greatest drinking holiday there is. December the 31st on into January the 1st. But another one well known for the association is is St. Patrick's Day in March. Of course, we all know that around the Christmas season, there are business parties and holiday get-togethers and there's spiked eggnog and Christmas cocktails and various and sundry other drinks. Our question then for the morning today is, what about Paul's statement to Timothy to use a little wine? May I say, as we begin the journey, why don't we first try to appreciate the nature of Paul, Timothy, and their stations in life, and the background for the setting of the passage. And then once we've appreciated that, then to jump into the more full aspect of the passage itself. 
As we do that, first the lesson text. You'll notice near the top. Let me just reiterate one thing that seems to occupy a rather common usage of this verse that is our lesson text of the day today. There are individuals who, again, don't always have much interest in the Bible. But when it comes to drinking, they're quick to say, didn't Jesus turn water to wine, John 2, verses 1 to 11, and didn't Paul command Timothy to use a little wine? And then they'll be quick to say, again, that means it's okay to drink a little. Both of those passages. And so, don't you as a Christian tell me anything that it's wrong because here are two verses that say it's right. Now, that text in John 2 is perhaps for another place and time, but again, that says nothing about endorsing alcoholic beverage either. But our text for the day is 1 Timothy chapter 5. Well, on that particular slide, you may notice, Timothy, we first encounter him in the New Testament in Acts 14 and following. Here was a young man living in that region of Asia Minor, And as he did so, when Paul came through that area on the first missionary journey, he preached the gospel, and it would appear that Timothy learned about it. He understood some of the features of it, and two years later when Paul came through the area, Timothy wanted to go with him. And Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. This young man had been, in essence, converted to the gospel, and Paul would later call Timothy, my own son in the faith. Paul helped convert him to the gospel. Timothy would be a very faithful and powerful servant to the God of heaven throughout the pages of the New Testament. In fact, two books, 1 and 2 Timothy, were written to him. Let's add another thought or two to it. When Timothy was laboring at the time that this was written, he was laboring in Ephesus. Ephesus was a well-known city. It was a fairly large city, and it had a church of our Lord. It was a well-organized church in that it had elders. Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and following, Paul talked with those elders. Isn't it interesting that this young man, Timothy, then was stationed at a congregation that had overseeing elders. Timothy needed the guidance, the insight, the wisdom, and the vision that those men would offer. And isn't it amazing? One last thing on that slide. Timothy was commissioned by none other than Paul himself. Preach the word, Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 2, you preach it in season and out of season. You rebuke, you reprove and exhort. And you may notice in 1 Timothy 4, verses 13 and following, Paul told Timothy, give attention to reading, to doctrine, to exhortation. Timothy, what you preach, make sure it's consistent with the Word of God and make sure that that which you present is wholly that which God would have it to be. Later on in that same chapter, verse 16, Timothy was told, if you'll give earnest attention to it, you'll not only save yourself, but those that hear you. Now those marching orders given to Timothy is such that now we find, as you'll notice that slide closing, we now appreciate very clearly that Timothy was to be an example. And that, of course, is going to have a bearing on the subject of alcohol. Because after all, you'll notice several observations about the text before us. 
again, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Timothy, the way you live is going to be an open matter to be read and appreciated by all. And yet in the midst of all of those instructions, Paul said these things to Timothy. Verse 23 of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. And to help us appreciate perhaps the thoroughness of it, I've actually listed that particular verse in three different translations. I've just read the King James translation, but you'll notice the English Standard presents it like this. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent infirmities. A third translation, the American Standard reads it like this. Be no longer a drinker of water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. And the point, it seems, of each will lead us through several observations through the remainder of the lesson this morning. Observation number one is this one. May I call to your attention in verse number 23, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. There is the word for in indicating the whole basis, it would seem, of Paul's assertion on this point. For thy stomach's sake. Timothy had stomach problems. We don't know much more about it than that. But we do have this assertion of the Word of God. Timothy, though a young man, relatively speaking, he was, he was nonetheless afflicted with some kind of stomach ailment. Stomach problems. Might I ask you to note this? It says, thine often infirmities. It would seem that Timothy was bothered with this on a very frequent basis. Whatever kind of stomach ailment it was, it apparently was an annoyance and perhaps even a rather serious thing to him much of the time. Well, notice a few observations that might be noted. Here was a young man striving to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he himself was afflicted with these common stomach problems, sometimes rather debilitating, I'm sure. Doesn't that highlight for you and me today that though a faithful Christian we may be, we may still suffer health problems, perhaps even ongoing chronic ones. Sometimes there are those who feel as if, I'm trying to serve God. Why is my health not good? Why doesn't He bless me in that way? May I say, there's a long history of consideration, Timothy included, that would lead us to say, our sojourn in this flesh is such that we may be beset with problems of a health nature. We've got to be faithful nonetheless. And never use those as some kind of an excuse to raise our hand against God and say, Why? Timothy apparently never did. Isn't it true we could add to that list 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and following. There was a man you and I know of as Paul, and you and I are quick to remember he had a thorn in the flesh. The Bible says that he prayed to God three times for his removal, and God said no. Three times he prayed for that to be taken away from him, and three times God said, I will not. It's in your best interest to keep it. It'll keep you humble, it'll keep you grounded, and it'll keep you directed toward me. You won't rest on your strength, you'll rest on mine. And so Paul maintained that thorn in the flesh. 
maybe you or I, of course, could appreciate Timothy had a stomach problem. We may wish we knew more details about it, but we do know that much. No wonder one final thing on that slide, wouldn't this be an appropriate time as if we didn't understand it already? How frequently we should thank God if we've got some good health. How often we should appreciate the wording of 1 Thessalonians 5.18, thanks be unto Him in everything. And surely that would include good health. You and I know that there are many who have surgeries, various other things that beset their physical body. And if you and I enjoy good health, may we be earnest in thanksgiving. May we be frequent in thanksgiving toward the grandeur of what a great blessing that is. Timothy had stomach problems. May I say, though, there's more observations to come. What else might we notice about this verse? Did you notice the way the verse began? Paul, by inspiration, makes this observation, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. Paul mentions water for some reason. Now you'll notice that verse, inasmuch as water is mentioned, it was the Holy Spirit's will that it be mentioned. It was the infinite wisdom of God that saw fit to make that observation. Drink no longer water. It's easy to conclude, it would seem, the following point. There appears to have been a sense, in fact a very easily understood one, in which the water that Timothy was drinking didn't help his health problem. In fact, the water, it would seem, may well have been a contributing factor to it. Let's develop it like this. You'll notice about the middle of that slide, it brings us to think about this, and you and I know it well when you have a stomach that's upset, and a stomach that is somewhat not quite right and nauseous. Water is usually not the best thing to drink. We select 7-Up, Sprite, maybe Gatorade, something like that, but it's not water. And yet notice Paul said, Timothy, no longer drink water. Maybe the impression is this. The waters back at that time were not purified the way they are today. Now you and I enjoy public water supplies and well systems that have a degree of purified water in it. And in fact, of course, chemicals are added to the public water supply in order to disinfect it, to remove bacteria, and to kill off those things that could be problematic to health. The water back at that time wasn't like that. It was the water that was made available. However so, that water often was appreciated to be contaminated. It was tainted with things that would make people sick, and that's still true of our missionaries that go to foreign countries. They often have to take their own bottled water. Those individuals that live there have their system such that they have learned to be able to drink that. But when you and I go there, we'd be sick quickly if we drank it. Paul was telling Timothy, Drink no longer only water. Because note the bottom of that slide. One of the things it would seem that the ancients did understand was you actually can add some alcoholic things to water to mix it, in other words, and that would help disinfect it. It would at least reduce the toxicity of the water. Even Isaiah makes mention in Isaiah chapter 1 of mixing wine with water. Now, sometimes that was admittedly done not for disinfectant purposes, 
but just to make the alcohol last longer. At this point, we can at least make this statement. There's an interesting assertion here, and point number three is going to drive all of that home for us in a rather fantastic way. Let's now put those two together and note Paul's wording. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and for thine often infirmities. This third point on our slide is this. 1 Timothy 5.23 reminds us of the observation we made a moment ago. Water quite often is not the best for an upset or nauseous stomach, but other liquids can be far better. In that day and time, one that was appreciated to be very helpful was often again that which was simply called wine. And that leads me to note this. It has long been known that wine does enjoy some very useful medicinal properties. You and I know it well. Dayquil and Nyquil and all those things, they've got alcohol in it. Read the list of ingredients sometime. When we and I have a sickness or a stuffy nose and turn around the bottle of Nyquil and read what's in it, it's got alcohol in it. And yet, Doctors and other professionals and even our own experience can sometimes indicate that that's a far better thing and it'll aid one in recovery. More so, let's say, than water or even other things would. Even the Bible testifies to the valuable medicinal properties of things like this. No wonder you'll appreciate the following. Drink no longer water. Here was an inspired man, Paul, ordering Timothy to drink some wine. But did you notice it was not for social consumption? It, in fact, had nothing to do with that. It was for medicinal purposes. And may I ask this, it also says how much, at least in a relative fashion, it was a little. This passage does not in any way endorse the social consumption of alcohol. In fact, one would have to try hard to try to squeeze that into the verse somehow. What Paul is asserting in light of Timothy's activity was this. In light of your sickness, you take a little wine. In fact, it may have even been mixed with water, but you take only a little of it. And it was for the explicit purpose of your stomach problems and your often infirmities. Those that drop by the beer joints... My guess is they give little emphasis to the word little, even if they do wish to use the verse to approve what they do, and they certainly aren't interested in any medicinal purposes of it. It's done for the social consumption aspects and that alone. This verse, you would have to take it far from its context to even give thought to that. May I also ask you to note this. The statement that's occurring in this verse, drink no longer water, is a reminder that here was a young man, Timothy, being told by Paul to give thought to and to do this thing for the purpose of his health. Those who drink alcohol don't do it for their health. Those who buy their packs of beer at Walmart and the local gasoline station, it is far from an interest on a little and far from an interest, again, on improving the matter of their health. 
We all know too well too many health problems come directly out of alcohol, liver issues, just to name one. To say all of that is to bring us to point number four. The observation that's here. At this point, would you be impressed with this statement? And to me, it's one of the grand observations of this verse. Timothy apparently was a water drinker only. It took an inspired writer, Paul, to tell him to even take a little alcohol. And may I say to you that Timothy's approach is that of any consistent Christian today. You won't dabble in alcohol. It is the devil's brew, and it has always been that way. Its only value for you and I as those who would serve God are those who again would use it, a little of it, for the purposes of some health improvement, and that's it. To develop or at least give some thought to those ideas... Let's develop this slide in the following way. May I ask each of us to notice again, it took Paul to command Timothy to even take a little of it. Again, Timothy's own perspective was to have nothing to do with it. And yet Paul had to encourage him, in a case like this one, to use a little of it is not wrong. But you've got to make sure it's medicinal, and you've got to make sure you only use a little of it. Anything more not satisfying those parameters, thus becomes something that's wrong. And to that might we add this. You and I know that modern medicines then may occasionally have a small amount of alcohol in them. And as long as we use those as prescribed, there wouldn't be anything improper in it. But if we step beyond that, merely only wishing to use alcohol for the social consumption of it, for the references in that vein in that way, we have erred. We note that because of these verses. I've asked you to consider some of these at the bottom. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, as Paul addressed the congregation in Ephesus, it was to them, he said, Be not drunk with wine. And the text, the affirmation is to have nothing to do with it. Don't you be consumed in any way with this, small amount or large in a social way. Why don't we add to that this observation in 1 Peter 4, verse number 3. Now these, from the words of a different writer, this time of course it's Peter. Let me invite you to notice what he asks us to consider. As he lists several sins of which the Gentiles were guilty, these observations are made. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, you may have noted with me that six items are listed. Paul said the Gentiles involved themselves in these things, and even back before we came to know Christ, we dealt with them. Paul says we were wrong. But did you notice what's included in the list? Verse number three, lasciviousness. That means lusts of various and sundry forms in life. And then he makes mention of excess of wine. Now that's easy to understand. That means a lot of it. Heavy drinking. So that's wrong. But the list goes on. 
revelings. And then mention is made of banquetings. In our English language today, we don't use those words very much. What does revelings mean and what does banquetings mean? And then, as you give thought to the last one, abominable idolatries. But those two words, revelings and banquetings, perhaps it'd be of value to notice. Revelings and banquetings has to do, revelings at least, with evening parties back at that time that in fact individuals would proceed through the streets and they would be somewhat inebriated or drunken. So you notice what takes place under the influence of this alcohol, Paul says, is wrong. But then lastly, banquetings. The word banquetings comes from a Greek word that literally means a drinking. And that's all it means. May I suggest to you then that that means even moderate amounts of alcohol. One doesn't have to be sloshed, as the modern language sometimes may present it. Even little amounts are wrong, Peter said. In our language today, then, when you and I appreciate Paul's words to Timothy to use a little wine, this is no defense of social drinking of alcohol. None. And if you and I have engaged in it, we need to repent and to do it soon. Because such a thing is not pleasing to God. We have not only damaged ourselves by virtue of doing what was condemned, think about the influence we set before others. Someone knows that you or I as a member of the church of Christ and we sit down at a Christmas party and drink a beer. We have left an indelible influence on that person and it will be awfully hard ever to convert them to Christ because we're doing the same thing they're doing. Well, if they're doing it, why should I ever change? I must be all right the way I am. The point's easy to see, isn't it? And we as Christians face a constant battle because the devil is winning the war on alcohol. And especially when sometimes members of the church will even endorse it. And at their homes you'll find refrigerators with some Bud Light in it. Don't you know the devil is grinning ear to ear if that's the case? I hope that you and I, in wisdom and insight, would never allow verses to be taken out of their context to try to approve something that the Bible condemns. Let's look at some more verses. Even in the Old Testament, thousands of years before the writing of 1 Timothy 3, you notice there Solomon, the wise man of the ancient era, said, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Many things might be noted about that verse alone. First, it's a mocker. Wine, alcoholic beverage will encourage one line of thinking, but it just isn't that way. It'll make you think it's fun and frivolity and it's a good time and all it's going to bring is heartache. And all it's going to bring is a very sad spectacle. It ought to crush our heart when we think about the frivolous way sometimes our world, whether it be in songs or behaviors that we see individuals who in their inebriation can't think straight and can't do anything else reasonably well. Why would you want to be like this? God has equipped you and I with faculties of mind and body. He expects us to be able to use them always to His glory and under full control of our mind and to purposefully deceive ourselves into drinking this business, and thus to 
impair our faculties willfully, we have done the very thing that 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 condemns. That verse commands every person that would be pleasing to God, you must be sober. What does that word mean? I realize in our modern era, sober has come to mean, well, just not overly intoxicated. It's not what the Greek word meant. The Greek word meant to abstain from wine. Hear me now. To abstain from it. Don't drink a little. Don't drink a minor amount. Abstain from it. That means every amount, first drop to last. Abstain from it. Unless there's an additional reason to use it, and only in little amounts, you've got to abstain from it. That's what the Bible teaches. All of that helps us appreciate, doesn't it, then, that the Word of God has given us the information that we need to sidestep these supposed temptations of the devil and to keep our interest in any such thing at bay. Although our world may, of course, be given to it, and although many try to defend it, they fail miserably in the effort to use the Word of God to do it. Maybe one last thought on that slide. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. In the closing chapter of 1 Peter, these unforgettable words are found and the connection will be immediately observed. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, and likely in your own mind you can finish the verse. Because your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil's the one who encourages alcohol the way we've studied it today. The devil is the one who would help and try to help each one see there isn't anything wrong with this. When all the while he knows that there is and he's lying because he is the master, John 8, 44, of all who lie. Let's close that slide then like this. Use a little wine for thine often infirmities. The point of conclusion is easy to see. Timothy was being admonished due to health reasons to invoke or use a little bit to settle his stomach and to try to put at bay those nauseous things that he was facing from a health standpoint. Paul was not encouraging Timothy just to go out and drink for the purpose of social enjoyment. And today, in that very same way, we would never encourage not only others, but we'd never do it ourselves either because we want to please Jesus. And we want to please what it is the God of heaven would have us to appreciate and to know and to live faithfully in His service. I hope that our lesson today has then helped us appreciate the thoroughness of 1 Timothy 5 verse 23. Drink no longer water only, but use a little wine for thine often infirmities and thy stomach's sake. As you and I close this lesson this morning... We do so with a perspective that the Word of God is always right. Always right. Though times may change and the perspectives of men may come and go, the Word of God will stand supreme. It will stand forever. 1 Peter 1 verse 25. Today, as you and I analyze ourselves, examining ourselves whether we be in the faith, may I say that alcohol is a thing that's a temptation to some. We know how well the world is given to it. It has been a problem at least since the days of Noah. Even the man Noah fell to this temptation in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 and following. 
May you and I be wiser than Noah in that regard. May we be committed to the wisdom of Solomon and others who have helped us appreciate the error that is to be seen in the human family in relation to alcoholic beverages. Today, as we close this lesson, perhaps it isn't this topic, but maybe another one you and I are facing. May we always appreciate what the Bible teaches. If there's one or more in this audience today, any of us, and all is not well with our soul, why do we want to wait another moment? Why do we want to wait any additional time at all? Eternity is too long. The judgment is too sure. And life is too uncertain. Why not make things right today? If you as an alien sinner have reached the point of that belief, then why not act on that belief by repenting of your sins, confessing the great name of Jesus and being baptized? If you have become a Christian at some former time and you've known the sweetness and the blessedness of it, but in some way or other you've lost sight of the treasure that Christianity is, and your life is really more today a service to the devil than it is to Jesus, then why, don't make, why not make changes? You don't have to continue to live that way. Jesus, in the image of the cross, forever asks and says, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me, John 12, 32. And if there's anybody in this audience, and you want to come asking brethren to pray to God on your behalf for forgiveness, we'd be honored to do it. And we can't wait to do it now while together we stand and while we sing.